You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 93, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work at thedraftnetwork.com, bleedinggreennation.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. It's been a while. I'm super hyped for this. I know you had a busy week. I'm glad to have you back. How you doing, brother? I'm good. Yeah, I know. It's been a busy week. Every day is a good day to be alive. It was a very long weekend, very tired. I'm still sore from the, the combine, man. Oh, haven't done <laughs> athleticism like that in a while. Haven't done athleticism kind of defines you after seeing those clips. It was great. I love the reactions to it. Well, that's, and, that, and the thing is, like, I'm not unfit, and I, I'm, I'm a distance runner, and so I do, like, like you know, endurance things. It's just... Man, agility, it's just it's not in the, my bones. I don't have it. I don't have the whatever tendons or ligaments you're supposed to have. And they made me go after Brad, Brad Kelly, uh, who's uh, on staff with us at the Draft Network, who's an ex-college wide receiver. He had CFL tryouts. Now he's a college coach. And he's only a few, he's like 26, you know what I mean? And so, pinnacle of athletic ability. And I went after him and it was rough. <laughs> but so I just, it's just, oh man, I don't even know what muscles you're supposed to use for some of those drills. I just we don't have to talk about it anymore. You know, and then it was obviously three days of the draft, which was great. And then it was Pasco. It was Easter for all my Orthodox homies. So it was a very long weekend. Shout out. Uh, excited to be back. Excited to not go to stats today and not turn in my stats homework because much like LeBron James and the do-rag, I just don't care anymore. I just, at this point, it's all <laughs> over. But no, it was a wonderful, fun weekend. The draft's always a good time. That first round, man. Yeah. I like the the closer we were getting to it, I was like, this is gonna be a wild first round. And it was. Yeah. It was absolutely out of this world. I mean the first shocker, and we're gonna talk a lot about the Eagles picks, and I wanna give you the floor to talk about your analysis of it because as I told you before we started recording, my voice has been all over this. People know what I think about a lot of these picks. I'll follow up with some thoughts, but I do want to give you your chance to speak on the selections. But I mean the first round, the way it was falling, what was your feeling? Because at number four overall, Cleveland Farrell goes to the Oakland Raiders. No one saw that coming. I've never seen a mock with Cleveland Farrell at number four, not even top five. So that part was interesting. And then the Giants grant our wish by taking Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback. Heck yeah, brother. <laughs> at number six. I told the Giant fans in my final mock that they were going to draft Daniel Jones at six mm. and Rashawn Gary at 17. And they were like, no. There's no way. You're just a spiteful Eagles fan. It will never be as bad as that. And guess what? It was even worse. worse. It was worse. 
they, they drafted a nose tackle at 17. Dexter Lawrence, a guy I had a third round grade on. Look, you can disagree about the round grades, gentle listener. But for my board, they took, and I'm not a big DeAndre Baker fan, and I know some people love him, but they, they literally took two third rounders and then worse with Daniel Jones from my board, my opinion. Mike, I mean, like, we're, <laughs> we, we, we are just talking about a team that, like, every tenant we have of roster building. They ignore it. They just fly in the face of. Yeah. They, they traded away Snacks Harrison for a fifth. And obviously, they don't have to pay him now. I get that. But then drafted his replacement in the first round. So the role of the guy that was worth a fifth for you, you're drafting his replacement in the first round. I don't. What are, you, what are we doing? Right, and, then, and then they drafted four corners. Yeah. Well, they drafted three corners. Four, if you count the fact that they used pick 71, forfeited in the supplemental draft last year to draft Sam, Sam Beal. Beal. So yeah. it's, it's, it was uh, DeAndre Baker, Julian Love, Corey Ballantine, and then Sam Beal. They did not address right tackle hmm. until pick 230. So Chad Wheeler right now is their starter. Good luck with that. Which, no idea. And still, in my opinion, and I'm opening up the Giants draft class right now so I don't misspeak, did not solve the edge problem because they waited till 95 and hit it with O'Shane's and Minis, which, like, that's the right value for him. But to me, he's not an edge one. Yeah. So I don't even know. First wide receiver pick, Ryan da- uh, Darius Slayton, Auburn, speedster. Yeah. They didn't, even have, they didn't even fix the X. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and I like where Slayton went because I talked about him on the BGN draft special number four with Brad Kelly. We, we liked his game. I like the Ziminus pick. I talked about him on BGN draft special number three with John Owning. And 95 was a, a great spot for him to go. I think he ended right, up I'm on... fine with Ziminus at 95. Yeah. I'm not fine with trading away Olivier Vernon, getting rid of J.C. Pierre-Paul, and addressing the position at 95. Right. And then everything else around it, going back to the first round, I was terrified because I was loving the way the board was falling. And then I was terrified that Christian Wilkins was still out there and the Giants solved that problem for us. So what did you think about as we were getting towards pick 21, 22? Well, let me talk about Wilkins at 13 because at 13, right, I said that I was told that the Eagles were trading up for Christian Wilkins. I was told that by two separate people, from what I understand – Philadelphia had called Miami earlier in the day and said, hey, what do you think the price is going to be for 13? And Miami, who everyone and their mother knew wanted to trade back, said, all right, 23 to 13 will probably be X. You know what I mean? It'll probably be this. So it was like, all right, we can probably live with that. Like, we'll call you back, obviously. Like, as the draft's going down, we'll see what's up. Then Pittsburgh traded from 20 to 10 with Denver. Right. And they got it relatively on the cheap. I believe it took... A second and then a next year third? Or, or what, what was yes, it? Yes, a second and next year's third. Exactly. And so when Philly came back to Miami at 13 and said, like, yo, Wilkins on the board. We want to go get him. This was the deal that was made between the Steelers and Denver. So we want to give you a similar deal because it's three picks later, but it's still a 10-pick change. And that was less than they had previously discussed. And so they were at different points now. Mm. Miami wanted the deal they talked about previously. Like, this is what it'll take for us. Philly said, like, well, we don't want to give you that now because we're three picks later. Still want to move up 10. We don't want to pay more than the Steelers did to move up from 20 to 10. And so negotiations fell through, and Miami decided to ta- stay and take Wilkins. So Philly and Miami, very like that 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 trade, the, de- the degree to which it was locked in, I was told it was locked in. Apparently it wasn't, but it was something that had been discussed since before Thursday and was being discussed. I mean, Miami got deep into the clock before they sent that pick yeah. in for 13. And so I saw several people, not just Philly guys, but also national media guys talking about the Dolphins having serious offers and seriously considering moving down from 13. Right. And for Philly, it was moving up for 13. I thought it was locked in. I was told it was locked in. For two minutes, I was sitting there with my <laughs> with my report out where the, the Dolphins were still on the clock. Yeah. Just like, all right, announce the trade, announce the trade, announce the trade. 
and then the Dolphins locked the pick in. So it clearly wasn't locked in as I thought it was. Uh, but it was definitely it was definitely a big part of the conversation. That being said, once yeah, once we got so eleven, Jonah Williams goes to the Bengals. Jawan Taylor is apparently falling because of a, a knee. knee issue in the medicals, and Cody Ford half the league thinks he's a guard, mm. and so everybody knew he was going to fall. Dillard, yeah, falling was the surprise. Wild. What was said was, all right, it does there at 12, Green Bay, lock it in. Yeah. And they went Rashawn Gary. Total curveball. Mm-hmm. Hadn't heard anything about Green Bay, Rashawn Gary at 12 during the entire process. Okay, so now Dillard's gotten past his perceived floor. So now it's a scramble for who thinks he's available. Because that's a big thing. Like, we all thought Marquise Brown, and we all thought there was a slight trade-up for Marquise Brown on the table because they were worried about the Redskins at 22, or the, the Ravens at 22. Yeah. Well, once Dillard's on the table, throw draft prep out the window, right? <laughs> right. I mean, like they, 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 nobody thought Dillard was getting into the teens. And so you're sitting there and you're watching the picks go down. And you're saying to yourself, okay, Redskins at 15 aren't going to take him. Panthers at 16, that's a legit option. Yep. Panthers love Dillard, but they love Brian Burns. And getting Burns at 16 was huge for them. So Burns goes off the board. Great value. Great value there. I mean, if Burns doesn't fall there, they take Dillard 100%. And it was a great pick by them. Yes. Well, they take Dillard or... They take the other tackle that was ranked equally high on their board, who was Greg Little, who they ended up getting at the top of the second round because they traded up to go get him, <laughs> which we could talk about a team having Greg Little and Andre Dillard ranked the same if we want which to. Which is weird. Uh, it's not a good policy. <laughs> I'd rather but not. The, I, the Panthers draft, I pretty much don't like all of it, except for their two edges. They got Brian Burns and Christian Miller, right. which to me is just like, Killer. here we go. <laughs> like that, That's just straight. That's Nas on the outside, man. Like That's, that's electric. All right, so then you're looking at the the Vikings at 18. Obviously, need offensive line help, but Dillard's a true tackle. They already have true tackles on the team. Can they kick uh, Riley Reef to the inside? Probably not. Uh, and so, no, they end up going with the guy that they wanted, you know, Garrett Bradbury. They go and they get their interior guy. Well, okay, so now the next team we circle as a potential team to take a tackle is the Texans at 22. There was no way the Texans at 22 were not taking Dillard. I, I, I like With ironclad certainty, I would have put thousands of dollars on it if he was there. Right. And how, and how, and we talked about this in the entire lead up to the draft. If these tackles fall, the Eagles have to move up and the Texans should be the first ones to move up because they were so desperate for tackle. They took two developmental guys because the deed was so bad. Sharping developmental is. How do you not move up? Did you read the report that when, 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 so this was, so what's funny is the Eagles move up to 21, or excuse me, to 22 right. with the Ravens, who was the team that it was perceived if they were targeting Hollywood Brown, they had to get in front of them. Yeah. And so when the trade goes through, I had the same guy who gave me the Christian Wilkins trade, the same Eagles guy that gave me the Christian Wilkins trade, say, this is, you know, they're, they're moving up. And I, and I said, do you think it's for Hollywood Brown? And he was like, yes. And I was like, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> Because they were, the Ravens moved back. They moved up with the Ravens. They wouldn't have been trading with the Ravens to go get Hollywood Brown. Right. So me, I was like, this is for a tackle. This is for Dillard. You're moving in front of the Texans to go get a tackle. Did you read Peter King's report on the Raiders? No. Apparently, John Gruden started to throw a hissy fit uh, in the war room because he thought the Eagles were trading up in front of them for Jacobs. He thought the Eagles were trading up for a running back. Get out. He thought Howie Roseman was moving up to 22 to draft Josh Jacobs in front of the Raiders and 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 Gruden had his heart set on the Raiders and would refuse to not get him. How are you so oblivious to the fact that the Eagles probably won't take a running back around one, especially after acquiring Jordan Howard? But then they would trade up for a running back. Right, they you- like Jacobs so much they're going to get in front of you, Oakland, for Josh Jacobs. Right, apparently Gruden was like like losing his mind. <laughs> this whole story going to to serve the point that 
Dillard changed everything. Dillard yeah. being available in the late teens. To, you, you took your first round draft prep. You lit it on fire throughout the window, right? It was like Bo Callahan falling after pick number one. Like it was just, it just changed the whole game. No one knew how to react. <laughs> Philly just makes the quick trade up, small trade, goes and secures the guy. As we've talked about, I'm not a huge fan of Dillard. Uh, Dillard was, I think, 47th, 49th overall for me on my final board. Yeah, you were a lot lower. I think he was 47th. He was 20 on mine, so I was higher. But I, I'm interested with yeah. how you th- how you feel about the fit here in Philly. Right. So that's 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 the thing. It's like that's what we've been saying from the jump. Like when we talked about Dillard three months ago, or I should even say, like when we talked about Dillard two weeks ago, when we knew he'd be going top 15, we were positive he would <laughs> go top 15. There was no doubt he was going top 15. You know, we said, all right, well, he has to go to a place where he's able to to develop, number one, and number two, where they're going to let him, like, pass protect in space, and he's not going to be responsible for being, like, a road paver, and he's not going to have to go and, like, take on contact super square and, like, you know, be a lead block in the running game, like, whatever. We never said, you know, oh, you know, it'd be great ending up with head co- with offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland in Philadelphia because he's renowned for developing offensive line ta- talent. And he's really good with tackles. Wait, but so you said this? I said this on the BGN draft special number two with Brandon Thorne. It was the exact situation I said that would be perfect for Dillard, which is great because right. I have audio and I'm killing it. Right. So the thing is, like, for me, I was never like, oh, Dillard would be great in Philly because I never thought that we'd be looking at Dillard. You know, I never Neither thought at 22. Right. Philadelphia is a great situation from a developmental perspective for any offensive lineman. For uh, for the play style perspective, I do think it is also a good spot for Philadelphia. It's going to be very interesting to me to see what happens because, as we talked about before, Lane Johnson, right tackle, he vertical sets and he deep sets a lot more often than Jason Peters does. Dillard has a lot more experience in deep sets and vertical sense than Jason than 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 he does in any other set. Yeah. So if he's stepping in at left tackle, twenty twenty and beyond. If he and both and Lane both are deep setting, that 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 can leave your line susceptible to inside moves and, and and to interior blitzes because you can really force the pocket to go deep, like to, you know you really pull those tackles deep down into the pocket, and then that leaves your interior exposed. And so I'm interested to see how that works out, but that's just like a like football thing that I'm curious about. Can I can I throw in a quick note on that because I saw Jeff Stoutland talking about. Andre Dillard and some of his film and whatnot. There's and there's a clip where we're talking about like deep setting versus you know different techniques and all that. And there's a clip where Stoutland says, okay, so he sees this defensive end. He's in a snug alignment, so he's just he's right outside of him. Yeah, the outside foot against Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. It, he's got the outside foot back. So what he's going to do is going to shoe set. He's just going to sit right in his shoes at the line. If he wants to go inside, then he's got to go through him. So he's able to adjust right. based on that. So that's some interesting context too. But Ben, the floor is yours. I love that. My follow-up question, if I was in the room with Stoutland, would be, okay, so he took the the tiny little Oregon State linebacker, who's going to be a lumberjack for his career, yep. and he was able to shoe set on him and take it and, and and withstand his bull rush, pass him off and take on the stunt. What happens when it's not right. Oregon State? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That thing is like, where's the functional power at? Where's the anchor at? Because Dillard's anchor wasn't very frequently tested. Then yeah. this goes back to what we, we've talked about with him on this show for a while now. What about your offensive play style and your defensive competition allows an evaluator to see in your game? And what it, the, the, what gaps are just there? You, you just really can't answer the question. You use the senior bowls best you can, use workouts best you can, but you really just don't see it on film. Correct. So for me, Diller is lower. So, uh, you know, I look at Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford being on the board, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I wish. <laughs> so, so 
we talk about Philadelphia being the perfect situation for Dillard. Okay, good. So why a perfect situation? Because those areas in which he needs to develop, he is most likely to develop well in those areas because of the situation in which he landed. Jeff Stalin's going to do a wonderful job coaching him as he has with many tackles in the past. A. B. Eagles play style, super wide open, RPO game, quick game is going to protect Dillard from having to sit back, from having that functional anchor tested, number one. And then number two, Dillard's not going to be responsible for being a a road paver in the run game because Philadelphia doesn't run, you know, a ton of basic power concepts, right? Dillard's never going to tackle, wrap, and pull into the middle, you know what I mean? He's going to be trapping, he's going to be taking zone leads, like that's pretty much it. He's going to be able to run block in space, something he's going to have to learn how to do, but he he has a nice athletic profile to support that. And so, yes developmental area for him the 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 developmental track for him is supported and and i like to talk about it being made bigger like the probability of success the the piece of the pie where dylan becomes a successful left tackle is wider for the development that philadelphia offers that being said we are still talking about a player who will be good at the nfl level assuming development and assuming development is always a very very important tag to put at the end yeah. because to me cody ford and Jawan taylor are, pl- are players that i assume i in my projection said they will be good in the nfl right and Dale's a player i think will be good in the nfl assuming development and, and, and assuming development has a lot that goes into it right in terms of staying healthy coaching staff staying stable player buy-in player weight you know everything there's a lot that goes into that i want to throw something out there and i know it's unfair but put this side by side. Take Andre Dillard going to Jeff uh-huh. Stoutland, who has decades and decades of coaching offensive linemen, developing offensive linemen at the college level, then coming to the pro level, coaching Jason Kelsey into his into his only two Pro Bowls after he came. Then the same year, they draft Lane Johnson, number four overall. He develops into an elite tackle. He takes fifth rounder, Halapuli Vativatai, turns him into an adequate starter for a stretch. Takes third rounder, Isaac Siamalu, turns him into what I currently believe is a replacement level starter. We'll start next year at left guard. Sure. Now, combine that with the player that the Texans selected and their situation. Titus Howard, super raw prospect, Alabama State, could be good if he develops. Lands with Mike Devlin, their offensive line coach. Zero, zero years coaching experience, the offensive line at the college level. Five or six years in the NFL, who has he developed? I don't know, but I know that they needed two tackles that they had to reach for. Which situation lends itself better to producing a quality product on the field? I think it's I think it's obvious, Ben. I fully agree. It goes back to the circle of like, again, it's great news for Dillard. Yeah. Which, because the Eagles now have Dillard, becomes great news for the Eagles. <laughs> but there are the what ifs. There yeah. are the other avenues. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't want to say it's splitting hairs because I think it's it's more than that. But it is like you know it is it is being picky. I acknowledge that for sure. But I had two top ten players on my board at tackle, both available, and we picked the guy who was in the in the forty ninth and forty nine forty seven for me. So it's tough for me to get yeah. super stoked about the Dillard pick. Now I want to make a distinct point here because I know this will happen once this once this podcast goes out. Right. Big 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 difference between my opinion on the first round pick of Andre Dillard and my opinion on the first round pick of Derek Barnett, <laughs> which is <laughs> Dillard is a guy that. If he develops those strands of future possibility where he becomes a starter, if he develops, has sky high potential. We've talked yeah. about this. Dillard is what I would call a high ceiling prospect. Did call him that during the process, had him evaluated as such. Taking at 22. Derek Barnett taking at 14 is what I would have called a low ceiling prospect. Yes. Right? 
a high floor player, but a player who I did not think had much developmental upside because I thought he was physically maxed out. He was not a, a significantly above average athlete for the position. And the ways in which he won, I did not think were the ways that translate to the NFL best. He was a, a solid player, a steady player, like I've always said, a six sack, seven sack per year player. I do not see him as a high ceiling player. And so while Yes, I'm sure for Eagles fans, it's like, all right, Ben has hated our first two overall picks. Ben is the worst. Ben is just big grumble, big grumble grouch, little <laughs> stick in the mud scallywag. I'm much more excited about the Dillard pick than I am, than I was about the Derek Barnett pick. And I think the Dillard pick will go better for the Eagles than the dark Derek Barnett pick, which has done fine for Philadelphia. But given Philadelphia, and you talked about Stoutland's background, developing Dillard, giving their offensive play style, and giving the fact that they've been able to adjust to a tackle's weaknesses before, when Big B had that starting stretch, I think that, that they're going to be absolutely fine when Dillard steps into the starting role in 2020. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be like counterpointing you on everything because I do agree. I've never not called Dillard a projection. I think we all recognize that. There is some blind spots mm -hmm. in his game. So all of that's great context, and I agree with you on Derek Barnett. I think we feel the same way there. I'm much more excited about the Dillard pick. Now people are going to say that I hate Derek Barnett, and that'll come off you and onto me, but whatever. That's what it is. That's how I feel. When we come back here on the Kiston Solak Show, episode 93, we're going to be talking about day two, day three, of the NFL draft, and I think we both have a favorite pick in the in that area. And who a, and a, it, could it be? I don't know. If you don't follow us on Twitter, you might not know. All right, hurry up, get to commercial commercials so we can get back. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back. Okay, JJ Arcego Whiteside. Arcego Whiteside at fifty-seven. Let's let's hold on. Let's let's save it. Let's save it. Let's go to pick fifty-three. Let's go in order. Let's go. Miles Sanders from Penn well, State. No, I was already I was already sad and mean. I don't want to be sad and mean again. So let's bring the mood up. We're gonna skip fifty-three. We're gonna go to fifty-seven. We're gonna talk yeah. about JJ Arcego Whiteside, a guy I had thirty-eighth on my board, my wide receiver four. I've been watching his tape for the past two days. I've been posting clips on Twitter if you want to see it. I already wrote an article for BleedingGreenNation.com talking about how you should stop worrying about his fit because it all makes sense if you really break it down. Ben, tell me about your boy because I remember early in the year I said who should I watch, and you said JJ Arcego Whiteside, and I did. So I've been on the train with you. All year, buddy. We did it. We made right. it. And I'm pretty sure uh, we had a funny moment when we did the big board fight where I realized you ended up with our single white side slightly higher than I had him. <laughs> right? Just like, yeah. which is how it always happens when you're in draft communities. And like, you find a guy, you're like, yo, watch this guy. He's good. And you end up not being the highest on him and you feel robbed. Yeah. But no, I'm very happy. Here's what I want you is the listeners in your car, at, at the office, at work, whatever. When you get the free moment, when you have the free eight minutes, 
YouTube.com, search bar, top of the screen, hard to miss. JJR Sega Whiteside, no periods in the name, JJR Sega Whiteside. Right. Versus TCU 2017. <laughs> Enter. Those three touchdowns? Thanks, first link. Goodness. Goodness. Right? <laughs> that was my first game that I watched for our Sega Whiteside from an evaluator's perspective. Same. Right? But, Mike, the, same, the reason it was yours is because I told you to watch TCU. So you've got to watch this. <laughs> and obviously, this this is this is just the, the broadcast copy. You know, it's some of his plays. I don't think it's even all of them. It's obviously not all of his routes. But I had it all, all on the, the All-22 film. Mm. You watch that and, that. and this, again, like very frequently when you talk about players you expect to grow into the offense – well, you go and you look at the bowl game and who was featured in the bowl game last year. And our single white side was featured in the bowl game for the Stanford Cardinal. And you started to get flashes of, okay, what can this guy start to do? And then you you go back into the 2017 film and do his biggest games and you say, all right, we've really got something here. I had him ranked higher than Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State coming into the, the 2018 season. Not very many people like that because everybody knew who Nikhil Harry was and nobody knew who our single white side was. And then our single white side had a dominant 2018 against the toughest competition he played. I mean, his ability alone made Stanford a passing offense right. by the end of the season. Which, I mean, you have Caden Smith, you had Kobe Parkinson. They obviously were willing to throw the football train around as well. But our single white side was a receiving threat that Stanford hadn't had in quite some time. I think that, that the Arcega Whiteside selection is a really interesting aside point, just that these quickly need to be made. Mike, you probably remember it better than I do. Who were some of the Eagles, the wide receivers the Eagles brought in during the pre-draft process? Nikhil Harry, there was Deontay Johnson, there was Marquise Brown. A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurd. Yeah. There were two more. Right. So, I can promise you it wasn't Arcega Whiteside. It was which not. Which is why it's important, it's important to always know, when we look at pre-draft visits, again, we're looking at guys they want to complete evaluation on. It doesn't mean they like them. Miko Hartman. It doesn't mean they want and who went one pick earlier. Yeah. So interesting. Right. I've I that will be a great what if for me forever. And I don't yeah. think anybody asked them. But I like first question would have been like, hey, you guys brought in Miko Hartman. You really wanted somebody who was fast. If he was there, would you have picked him over our single white side? Go. <laughs> um, because we'd be having a fully different conversation about what this pick does to the offense. Yeah. It could not be more different players. But so the Eagles looked at wide receiver. We know they were interested in picking a wide receiver, but they never brought in our single white side. And so Pre-draft visits can help us figure out positions they're looking at, but it doesn't always solve the problem of of what exact player. The Eagles never visited our single white side. Again, like Dillard, never a player that I thought they were going to potentially be targeting. I mean, like, it makes sense because he's good, but I never thought, like, you know, there was no rumblings of it. Our single white side's strengths as a player, while arguably are already filled by other players on the team, I acknowledge that and we'll talk about that, fits so very, 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 very nicely in what Philadelphia likes to do on offense. Our single white side is a dominant RPO player. You thought I was going to say red zone. He's a dominant RPO player. I'm with you. Because that backside slant no, yeah. JJ? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean you. I meant I meant the listeners. Oh, I yeah. had them going. Yeah, I had a little <laughs> bottom weave. You did. Nod. You um, did. Dominant RPO player because of his ability to quickly generate a half-man relationship off the line of scrimmage, get to the inside-outside leverage that he wants – Snap into his break with very clean, very good footwork and win in contested situations. Whenever we think of contested situations, we typically think down the field. Contested situations are situations where the, 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 you can't establish anything more than a tight window. and You're going to have to win the catch through contact while you're being hit. Our single wide side is dominant in those situations. Absolutely now, dominant. Why is he dominant? Because his releases, because of his body positioning, his ability to box yeah. out, the way that he wins before he gets 
to that contested situation. It's mm-hmm. already pretty much decided by the time that it gets there. I think that that's what people are missing. His releases are are so clean, man. So clean. All-state basketball player in South right. Carolina. All-state football player in South Carolina. All-state track in South Carolina. I mean, the dude's an unbelievable athlete. Testing isn't out of this world, but what he understands about footwork, leverage, and how to work his body into the best athletic positions is just natural by by it's ingrained. It's intuition. It's like it's being a virtuoso. It's being an expert. He's just been in he's been an athlete for so long. He knows what to do. He's been in football situations. He's been in basketball situations where he's absolutely able to separate, to use his fit, footwork, to, to deceive, to generate angles, so on and so forth. Like the box out situations are from being a stretch four, from being a five in the, in the, in the, in the paint, being in the low post, winning with body positioning, getting your hips lower. This all, it all translates, it all intermingles with all athleticism, right? Yep. It's all, it's all knowledge. What we would call functional athleticism is the scouting term, functional athleticism. Dominant RPO player that Philadelphia is going to use in the middle of the field in the sticks very, very well. And I think you'll agree with me, Mike, in the sense that if there's an area on which Nelson Aguilar is lacking as a player, it's the contested catch situations. He does not like getting hit over the middle of the field. 100%. Our single white side is very fine with getting hit over the middle of the field. Put me out <laughs> yeah. there, coach. I'm ready. Right? Exactly. So it's a ton of fun. The red zone. If you follow me on Twitter, you already know I've been losing my mind over the red zone. Our single white side 6'3". Also, Jeffrey 6'3". Dallas Goddard is 6'4", Zach Ertz 6'5". Just, what, what do you want? What do you, what do you, pick, listen, we all die. Just pick the way. Pick the avenue here, team. Like, what are you going to do? What yeah. are you going to do? You have four secondary players over six feet tall? You don't. None of them do. <laughs> I, I will go and I will check all other 31 rosters to make sure there's not a single team that has four secondary players over six feet. And if there aren't, that our single white side, Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey, are three of the best red zone route runners that you will find because of the aforementioned Use of leverage, use of body positioning, willingness to be physical, bring contact to the corners, generate your own throwing windows, generate your own space. Our single white side is so good at running at a corner, running into a corner to create space over there. Yeah. Right? So our single white side is not running where he wants the ball to go. He's running at the corner to keep him from where the ball is eventually going to end up. And then our single white side gets there bigger, faster, stronger before he does. Our single white side is a very very exciting player especially in this offense because of what he brings in the middle of the field and in the tight areas that are necessitated by an rpo offense and that are created in the red zone our single white side is not going to be a high volume receiver for the eagles but as a as a second round pick you can expect him to have a a decent amount of volume with a heavy amount of volume on third fourth down and in the red zone where he has been utterly dominant at the collegiate level since he started playing situationally he's going to be a huge clutch receiver for the eagles short yardage too i mean we've seen a lot of times where the eagles have motioned in nelson Aguilar to that sniffer position right behind the tackle and the guard and and, and the tight end in that area they did it with jordan matthews too jjr sega whiteside is going to be awesome in that area too he's going to bring some excellent blocking chops with him doesn't take a playoff high effort guy high character guy fits the culture Love everything about him. Go to BleedingGreenNation.com. I've got that article up. Stop worrying about J.J. Arcego-Whiteside's fit. I'm also going to have a film review out on him within the next couple of days, so keep an eye out for that. Let's transition here to Miles Sanders, the 53rd overall pick who went before J.J. Arcego-Whiteside for some reason. So, Ben, I was wishy-washy on the pick. It wasn't great value for me especially considering the positional value. It was an area that I'm okay with upgrading with Sanders. I see the potential. He's inexperienced. So I do believe that there is room for growth there. I would like to have seen, and I talked about this on BGN Radio episode 48 with BLG, if you want more of my thoughts, but I want to get your opinion on Sanders as a prospect and how he fits in Philadelphia. Yeah, I didn't like the pick running back 
six for me, and only one running back had left the board. Yeah. Might have been running back five. Don't quote me on that. But it's running back five or six. At 53 in the second round, earlier than I expected them to go for it. They clearly liked Sanders. I will say, and I, I told you guys this in the group chat, to me this screams Joe Douglas pick. Like, I look at the first round, and it was like, Howie probably had to, like, promise Joe Douglas, like, listen, you can pick whoever you want at 53. Just let me trade up to 22 and take Dillard. Just please, just please, just please let me trade up to 22 and take Dillard. Because, like, like, from an analytics perspective, Dillard's the best tackle in this class. From a value perspective, obviously, it makes a ton of sense versus where he was on their board. Um, and then, obviously, it's planning for 2020 and beyond. And that's a very interesting aspect of Philadelphia's draft that we can talk about. First two picks, Dillard and Sanders, are 2020 picks. Yeah. Because I think they're both a year away from their best play. Sanders will obviously have more of a snap count in year one than Dillard did. But even then, like, 2020, Sproles is definitely gone if he's not already gone this year. And Jordan Howard is also definitely gone. Sanders will have much more room to take the line share of the, of the carries, whereas I don't expect that to be the case in 2019. Those are both 2020 picks. Very mm-hmm. interesting to me. And I think it's worth the conversation as to how much the Eagles think rookies can even contribute to Super Bowl runs in general. I think it's also a sign of how they feel about the roster as it is now. They're starting well, 22. Yeah. The best roster coming into the draft. We have one of the top three rosters in the league right now, which we were saying the same thing before 2017. We were saying yeah. this is the top three roster in the league. But so for Sanders, to me, a player who's a year away, talking about Arcega Whiteside doing a bunch of athletic stuff and just the intuition that comes with experience uh Sanders doesn't have a lot of that 2017 the primary backup for Saquon Barkley well I'm here to tell you you don't take Saquon Barkley off the field unless you really have to so it's not like Sanders was getting a ton of touches a lot of times they were garbage time garbage time touches 2018 he's the primary starter and you see the inexperience I think he makes a lot of questionable decisions by the line of of scrimmage I think he trusts his athleticism more than he should which he's a great athlete but he trusts it more than he should it gets him out of a lot of tight scrapes which is very helpful that's a very good trait to have but at the NFL level I think his trust in his athleticism will put him into bad spots that it's much 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 more difficult to get out of now Sanders is the best athlete in this running back class which take that for what it's worth athleticism at the running back position not like I'll put it this way bad athletes typically don't stick good athletes not any more likely to stick than average athletes can I give an example so if a running back runs a 4.62 but then has like a 1.56 10 yard split and you're comfortable with his burst on film and can chain cuts together and and looks like a pretty fluid athlete are you really like digging into the numbers of his testing? Does it matter that much to you? It doesn't to me. Yeah, and and, and I mean like the thing about Sanders is in such a bad a class that tested so poorly comparatively, he really stands out as if you have athletic thresholds at the position, which I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume that Roseman has athletic thresholds for every position. Hmm. Would be my my guess, and if I'm wrong on that, I'm totally wrong. But that would be my guess. Then Sanders is going to stand out ahead above the rest. The other guys are going to fall down your board slightly. I didn't know Philadelphia liked him much coming up to the draft when Sanders was still on the board around 46 47 I was told that the Eagles are just praying he falls to 53 if he's the pick will be the pick at 53 and so clearly I think he was a guy that they circled maybe in a Dillardist sort of way of saying you know we're not sure if he's going to be there at 53 but if he is we're locking that in that's great value on our board so I uh, I, I don't like taking a running back that early in a class where I think you could have gotten good value late and I don't like uh, Sanders relative to a guy like a Daryl Henderson who is still on the board I mean, obviously, like some of the guys I had ahead of him, like a Rodney Anderson, you have the medical concerns that, you know, probably kick Sanders above him. But, you know, I think that you look at it like a Devin Singletary or Daryl Henderson would have been a couple of players that I would have preferred at the pick. Though I don't really think the only one I would have liked at 53 would have been Henderson. That's the only one where I would have been like, this is this is good value on my board. And so they just they, they wanted to go running back. They wanted to get the starter. I'll be very interested to see how many touches Sanders gets in year one. 
Now, how much does the Eagles offense change? Now they have, I think, the first back they've really invested high capital in since Peterson got here. I don't really think it changed that much. I yeah. still think it's uh, it's running back by committee, and I still think they're a pass-heavy approach. They selected running back round two, sure. They also selected uh, uh offensive tackle who has no idea how to run block and a wide receiver with their other two first two round picks. I think they're still going to throw the football. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like I like I, to me, I think the run pass ratio stays about the same. I think they yeah. stay pass heavy, and I don't see Sanders being you know the Eagles averaged twenty six running back touches per game last year. Yeah, I don't see Sanders getting more than thirteen of those, like half of those this year. So I'm not sure how much value he brings in twenty nineteen. It's my least favorite pick. Only because it's 53, I hate Clayton Thorson more, but at 153 or whatever it was, I just don't, you know, I don't care as much anymore. Um, but yeah, the Sanders pick, I, I didn't like, but I didn't have much time to wallow in it because of the Arcega Whiteside pick, so I was okay with that. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. So we're going to wait and see more with Sanders. We'll see if he can start to take away some carries from Howard as the season goes on. I mean, pass pro has got to be something that he improves upon big time if he wants to see the field on third down. I think he's going to be a better receiver as a pro than he was in college. He could be used more in that area and develop there. By the way, just a quick disclaimer, because I keep seeing people say this. I have a clip up of Miles Sanders just getting bull rushed on his butt, just canned on a play against Ohio State. He wore number eight for that game in honor of his teammate, Mark Allen, who was injured. I know he wears 24. He wore number eight for that game. Just to clarify, just to Mike, put it out there. Do you even know <laughs> who Miles Sanders is? Right. You idiot. Idiot. I know. It's so dumb. Colossal moron. I just love reverse. Dun- I shouldn't have said it because I love reverse dunking on people when that happens too. Okay. Before we get out of here, let's talk real quick about these last two selections. It can be real quick. You mentioned Thorson, so I'll start with him. Here's what I wrote because we're doing a like roundtable thing for bleedinggreennation.com. That article may already be up by the time that we post this podcast. So I'll, I'll put what I said about him. Quote, while the Eagles certainly had a hold to fill regarding the QB3 role, this selection feels more like a trust fall into that hole than anything. Thorson is an inconsistent decision maker with crippling accuracy issues that get exceedingly worse down the field. The Eagles system can be catered to his strengths if he eventually is forced to play in a pinch, but I'm not sure he'll ever see that opportunity, unquote. I think he's bad. I think it's a bad pick. I don't know if he makes the roster. I don't care if it was a hold to fill. I don't like the player. There were a lot of different quarterbacks I would have gone with. Sharif Miller, I talked about him briefly on on the other BGN Radio episode 49 with BLG. May he forever rain. rain. The pass rusher out of Penn State. Uh, I think he's a raw dude. I think he's got to work on his hands and his functional strength, but there's some stuff there to like. What do you think about those picks, Ben? Yeah, uh, Shreve Miller should have gone back to school. Yeah. Uh, not ready to, to be a pro yet. We'll need multiple years of development. Chris Long retires, probably, if that's the case. Then the the edge four reps will not be coming from Miller Sweat. They will be coming from Sweat. Yeah. I do not anticipate Miller being able to make a, an impact in year one. Other edges that I would have liked there, however, I do see the value slash interest in Miller because when you have a guy who can clearly who has the first step quickness and then the bend through the the outside arc. Right to win on the high side tools you want to work with right that's a trait i'm always willing to invest in on day three i agree right and this is the case with miller is that like while it was an early day three selection i thought the eagles had other needs elsewhere cough safety cough (laughs) uh i understand why they were interested in miller i understand why he fits their molds as far as what they like in a player uh, and i understand why he was the selection so not my favorite guy but i totally get it uh and it doesn't surprise me thorson yeah i mean makes sense that they're going for a running back or quarterback Makes sense that they want to bring in the guy because Sudfeld's obviously probably going to be gone after this year. Go get a big contract somewhere. Bring back a comp pick and return. It'll be very nice. Yep. So like if Sudfeld goes, 
Thorson stays. Like you said, you're not even sure if Thorson stays rostered. He's 100. He's got to stay rostered. If they don't, they if they drafted a quarterback 167, they don't roster him. I'm gonna kill somebody. I'm just telling. I'm just telling you, man. Someone gets gets cut somewhere else. Thorson comes in there, craps the bed. It wouldn't be the wildest thing to happen for a fifth round. My pick. my ultimate <laughs> goal is that Louis Perez beats him out. Oh, oh I love it. <laughs> Perez, the um the Texas A&M Commerce kid, the yeah. AF guy. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. But. <laughs> I mean, if they do, then I, I, my only tweet on the topic will be a list of play, players who are available at 167, <laughs> probably all safeties. Right, right, right. Thorson, and this is very, this is like, this is like a crucial note, is bad. And we forget about that when we talk about these players because we so often talk about, okay, you know, you have to, you know, oh, getting quarterbacks on cheap contracts is valuable. And oh, like as the price of the starting quarterback goes up, the price of the backup quarterback goes up. And so yeah. you have to make sure you always have a rookie backup as well. Saves you even more money, especially when you have big money in, in Carson Wentz. And Florson has a lot of great intangibles and he's super smart at the whiteboard. His tape isn't good. And like it's just that, that <laughs> it's so easy to overlook. You got apparently. You got me on that one, man. I'm so used to you yeah, setting no, that no, up. No, no, no. I felt really good about it when it was coming. I almost <laughs> smiled and broke it too, but I pulled it off. Thorson just doesn't have good film. And I don't even think he has good traits that justify a pick right. off of bad film. Where's and the upside? I, I, um, I would have preferred pretty much any quarterback you can think of in the class over Clayton Thorson. I, 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 I've never been able to understand why there's interest in this player, but there is. And I'll be very sad when you know Gardner Minshew does something good for the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars in relief of Nick Foles. Uh, and we're sitting here with Clayton Thorson just holding the clipboard on the sideline. I remember literally adding Jim Jim Nagy talking about how Brett Rippon should be in there over Thorson specifically. So this is not a take that I can like roll back from. There, there's no sugarcoating this. We just don't like so, it. I mean, like overall, I um I didn't like a lot about the Eagles class. I didn't like a lot about how they approached uh, the draft this year. To me, the the not addressing safety is is something that I struggle with. Really liked the fact that they went offense heavy. Very happy to see them go offensive tackle early. Didn't think they would do it, but I wanted them to do it. Correct. Obviously, like I said, there are two names I would have preferred, but at the end of the day, two names that I would prefer. Like, really, I could suck it up. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Uh, Dillard's a good player. Very excited about our single white side. One of my guys makes me feel great. But I don't see huge impact from any player in this class in year one. Like Even for our single white side, he's going to be wide receiver three, assuming Nelson Aguilar goes. And in, in an offense that goes heavy 12 personnel, I just don't see, like, you know, like I said, could be huge on clutch downs. That's where he's the best. But he's not going to be a high-volume guy. Uh, and so would I don't you call see it, huge Would you call it impact. an insurance policy look to the future type draft? Yeah, and, and, and that's why I said I think there's a warranted, interesting question to ask of Eagles are gearing up for a Super Bowl run in 2019. They chose a couple guys in Andre Dillard, Miles Sanders, Shreve Miller, who all are not going to be helpful this year. Clayton Thorson even, not going to be helpful this year. Why? And I think it's just the reality of I just don't – and I want to go look back and see, like, what percentage of teams who made it to the Super Bowl had rookies – you know, how many rookies did they have that played over 40% of the snaps? Because I'd imagine it's a very low number, and that's what kind of informs the Eagles' logic here. I'd imagine the logic is simply, if we're going to win a Super Bowl, it's not going to be because we hit on three rookie picks and they all became starters for us. Right. It's going to be because what we do with veteran players and with our incumbents. And so I just I, – yeah, I think this was a forward-thinking draft – and they were okay with that, and that was the objective coming in. It's just important to, I think, calibrate expectations for this rookie class for 2019, especially because the Eagles haven't gotten immediate returns out of a lot of their rookie classes in the new Howie Roseman, Joe Douglas era. It's been a lot of guys who've taken a couple of years to really become impact players. Yeah, and when I told BLG, he asked me for my grade on the class, I said the, the, the key word for this class is development. 
So we'll see. I'm higher on the draft than you are, but I do understand what you're saying as far as impact and as far as projecting these guys out into the future. It's always a bit of a crapshoot. Ben, that is going to do it for the Kiss and Select Show episode 93. Would you say goodbye? To the gentle listeners. Oh, it's the uh, it's the Timmy Jernigan. We didn't even talk about him, but it's the Timmy Jernigan episode for the return of Timmy Jernigan. Uh, I also liked I liked the Hassan Ridgeway trade. I thought that was fun. I thought it was great. Yeah, I think I think Ridgeway can be a defense tackle four. Yeah. Totally fine with that. I'll put it this way: you weren't finding a player as good as Ridgeway in the seventh round, so he's twenty four years old. He's I mean he's yeah. young too. Yeah, let's boogie with it. Uh, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on Bleeding Green Nation Radio. We hope you had a good time with the draft, and we're very glad to be back in the saddle recapping it for you. As we look to the offseason and create more content plans, we do hope that you will stick with us as we are a year-round show and we will have a ton of fun stuff covering the Eagles as rookie minicamp begins, as training camp begins, and as we look into the preseason of the Eagles' second Super Bowl season, 2019. If you liked the show, please leave a rating, a review, and a subscription on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-L-L-K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Thank you, as always. We are friends. It was a good episode of Thrones last night. Goodbye forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. P-G-N. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.